I want to share a little story with you. It's kind of a funny story. Um, it comes from one of my friends. He's about 10 years older than I am. And uh, he tells it of a time when he was a little boy. And he was taking a shower, and he was washing his hair. And he got some shampoo in his hair. And he squinted his eyes, you know, he's trying to wash um, out. And I'm having trouble with my mic. Do you want me to go to a handheld, or do you want to see if we can get that popping uh, to, to settle down? We'll see if it gets any better. Anyway, so he's got this shampoo in his eyes, and he's, he's squinting really hard. And just as luck would have it, right as he was feverishly trying to get this shampoo rinsed out of his eyes, the power goes out. But he didn't know the power went out because he had his eyes like this. So he opens his eyes, and it's nighttime, and he's taking the shower, and the power just went out, so it's pitch black. And he runs screaming into the living room, Mom, Mom, I'm blind, I'm blind. Well, just at that moment, the lights come on, and Mom's in there in the living room with her Tupperware party, and, and uh, he's standing buck naked, soaking wet, and he's, oh, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm not blind after all. But imagine, imagine a little kid getting some shampoo in his eyes for the first time, closing his eyes, opening them, and the power had just gone out. And that'd be a pretty unsettling feeling, wouldn't it? In fact, I'd encourage you right now to close your eyes. Every single person, close your eyes. Even the cool people, close your eyes. And just think for a moment, if when you opened them, it was pitch black. Now, we're not going to mess with the lights or anything here. But imagine losing your sight. Imagine... Never seeing the face of a loved one smiling at you. Imagine never seeing another sunset or watching your favorite sporting event or seeing somebody you love do something they love. Imagine never seeing again. Okay, you can go ahead and open your eyes now. But that will set the stage a little bit uh, for the story that we're going to be looking at today and some of the principles that we're going to be drawing from it. But um, I wonder, have you ever felt ill-equipped? Have you ever felt like you had to, it was your time to, to act? It was your, you were in a situation, maybe you're a little overwhelmed, and you don't have everything you need, but, but everybody's looking at you, and it's time to go, and you got to move, and you got to go with what you got, and it's not, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to work out, and you're not going to be able to prepare any longer. Maybe it's a test that you have to take, or a presentation you have to give at work, and you're not quite ready but you just got to go with what you got. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to be looking at a story uh, from the Gospel of Luke as we continue our series titled the, the Journey to the Cross. We began this with a parable, and now we're looking at some specific interactions that Jesus has as he makes his way from the northern Galilee down to Jerusalem, uh, where he knew that the cross awaited him. So that's why we've titled this Journey to the Cross. And we're going to be looking at these interactions that Jesus has along the way. Uh, with individuals. And we started this last week with an interaction with the man that we called the rich young slave. Now, you may have heard him called the rich young ruler, but as we learned from the text, he was actually, though he had influence and, and had wealth, it was his wealth and his possessions that had him. It was the stuff that he had that was ruling over him. So he wasn't actually a rich young ruler, he was a rich young slave. And I was thinking about that again this week and reflecting on it, and it came to mind, and I don't know why I didn't see this last week, but this is a story of somebody who comes to Jesus, seeking Jesus, and doesn't get converted. And I was praying through that and, and actually had a strange sense of encouragement that I got from that. I was like, you know, even Jesus didn't save everybody who ever came to him, that, that Jesus always did his part, 
But there's a part to play of the other person. And this person went away sad, and it was encouraging to me because sometimes I get this crazy idea in my mind that i got to go save the world, and i got to bring every single person into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as soon as I fail at that, I, I think I maybe haven't done my part or haven't done it quite right. But this story shows us that, that our call, God's call on our lives is to go and invite, to go and sow the seed, to go and share the good news, to go and ask people, tell me your story. And look for places in that story that might intersect with our story and there's some common ground or, or might intersect with, with God's activity in their life and help them to see that. And sometimes they'll, they'll receive that, welcome it into their lives and, and you can be a part of God's story in their life and other times they'll go away sad, just like the rich young slave went away sad. But I wanted to encourage you with that as well. And today and next week we're going to be looking at a couple of stories of people who did have a radical transformation experience, who did get converted and who did come into the kingdom of God. I think we'd probably be better off with a, a, the microphone. I'm going to go ahead and mute this. Yeah. Where do I need to be so it won't do that again? In front of the monitors? Okay, so I'm going to be right here, and I'm not going to move around as much as I normally do, and you're just going to have to get used to it. And you people over here on the side and over here on the side, um, don't fall asleep, okay, because I can't come over there to you, and I'm going to try real hard uh, to, uh, to keep this up close to my mouth, too, because I'm not used to doing that. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to go with what we've got, all right? We're gonna, it's not perfect, and the mic's not working exactly the way we want it to, and we're going to shift on the fly, and we're going to go with what we got, and I appreciate you going with me as we go with what we've got, okay? So we're going to look at a couple of transformational experiences, transformational encounters, and before we dive into that, I want to encourage you, there's a couple of new link groups that are starting up this week. All the details are in your bulletin, but I want to issue to you a personal invitation that if you're not already involved in a link group, or maybe you were at one time and you've stepped back, there's a couple of great opportunities to link up with other believers, to study God's Word together, to do life together, and find fellowship together. Uh, one of them is going to be starting up on on the 25th and go on Sundays. Uh, another one's going to begin on Mondays, meet once a month, and just be a time where you can be in fellowship with each other. Like I said, the details are in your bulletin. I really hope you're reading that bulletin every week. The information does change. You want to stay up to date. We want you to be involved and be uh, taking advantage of opportunities that you have uh, to participate in the things that are happening here at Linwood. So we're going to read Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. This is on page 1630 of the Bibles that are in the seats uh, in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pick one of those out and uh, turn to page 1630. Read along with us. It's not going to be on the screen right now, but as we go back through uh, a couple of the verses, we will put those up on the screen for you. So here's the, uh, the account that Luke gives us uh, in starting in chapter 18, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is God's word. 
Now, in case you haven't heard this story before, he's often referred to as blind Bartimaeus. Now, Luke doesn't record his name, but Matthew records this story of of a blind man being uh, given his sight outside of Jericho. So we can be pretty uh, sure that this is Bartimaeus. And sometimes I'll refer to him as the blind beggar, and sometimes I'll refer to him as Bartimaeus. But that's who we're talking about today. And uh, it's interesting to me that he doesn't sit back and just hope that Jesus will come by. He doesn't just sit back and even allow himself to be shushed. You know, I, I had to chuckle at myself a little bit with four boys aged 5 to 12. I spend a lot of time saying, shh, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Your mom is sleeping, shh, be quiet. Or, or hey, I'm on the phone, shh, be quiet. And I'm always shushing. And just like Bartimaeus, they don't allow themselves to be shushed. They don't allow themselves to be quieted. And so when we look at the story, that stands out to me that he would not allow himself to be quieted. He would not be silenced. He cried out. He cried out to Jesus, referring to him as the son of David. He didn't have everything he, had, he needed. He didn't have everything he wanted. He didn't have his sight But he did have a voice. And so while he couldn't exactly see where Jesus was, he used the voice that God gave him to get Jesus' attention. And his life was forever changed. He went with what he had. And our bottom line today, I'm going to give it to you a little early. The bottom line today is that when you can't see Jesus, cry out. When you can't see Jesus, maybe not from a physical blindness, but from a spiritual blindness or a spiritual blind spot, or maybe the world and its circumstances is closed in around you in such a way that you can't see Jesus in the middle of those circumstances, and you're tempted to doubt that he is with you, you can cry out to him. You can remember his promise that he would be with you, that he would never forsake you, that he would be there to walk through life with you, and you can cry out to him. I can remember one particular time when I could not see Jesus in the midst of my circumstances. I was about to give my first sermon at the church in Casper. It was a Father's Day sermon. And we had found out about eight weeks prior that Heather was um, pregnant with twins. And we were just thrilled by that. Now, this was when we just had Keaton and Ryan. We did not have Owen and Carson yet. So these would have been our third and fourth children in pretty short order. I think Ryan was still in diapers. So my first thought was, oh my gosh, we're having twins. And my second thought was, oh my gosh, we're having twins. And then on the Wednesday before I was to preach that first sermon, and this was a church of about 17, 1800 at the time. So there were probably going to be four or 500 people in each service. And, uh, The week before, uh, that Wednesday before, we went to a pregnancy resource center to have an ultrasound done, to see the twins and to help them train uh, their sonographers. And as they brought the images up on the screen, there was no movement. There was no blood flow. The, The twins had miscarried. And I remember, for the first time perhaps in my life, just being completely beside myself and saying, God, where are you in the midst of the circumstance? I mean, it's Father's Day weekend. I'm preaching my first sermon in ministry. How can, how can, how can you be in the midst of this circumstance? And I remember my pastor at the time, my senior pastor, he came over and he just sat with me for a while. And sometimes there's the ministry of presence that words don't really need to be spoken. And he sat for a while and we cried together and he prayed and he said, what are you thinking? Because if you need somebody else to preach, we'll, we'll take care of that. You don't need to feel any pressure to preach. And uh, if, if you want to go ahead and do it, I think God might get some glory from you being. He knew this was going to happen. He didn't cause it, but he knew it was going to happen. 
And there may be an opportunity for you to preach anyway and to give him glory and to proclaim his truth. And we ended up doing that. And I cried out to Jesus over and over the next few days. And it ended up being one of the most profound spiritual experiences of my life to step into that pulpit and to praise the God who I couldn't see a few days earlier in the midst of those circumstances. And so when we talk about a bottom line, when you can't see Jesus cry out, I really want to encourage you to do that because he will meet you. He is longing for you to cry out to him in your time of need. He is longing to enter into your hopeless circumstances and be right there with you in the midst of them. He will come to you. And he invites us to come to him. We know the scripture, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, one of my favorite, one of my first scriptures that I memorized says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's an invitation there. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews four sixteen to come boldly before the throne of grace with confidence. Not the throne of judgment, the throne of grace with confidence that we would find mercy. That we would find mercy. But not only that, we see over and over in Scripture that God is a God who seeks us in our time of need. That he's not just waiting for us to come to him, that he is out looking for us. We see Jesus presenting this story in Luke 15 of the father whose son left, asked for his inheritance, went off to a faraway land, squandered the inheritance. And yet when he finally comes to his senses and returns home, we're told that the father was out waiting for him, watching for him, looking for him. Back in, in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles 16.9, we're told that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the world looking for those that he might encourage, those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is not just inviting us to come to him. He's out looking for us. He's looking to enter our seasons of distress, our seasons of trial. And he's looking for us to cry out to him. We see that clearly in this story. I want to look at a couple of verses in particular. Verse 38 and 39. As Bartimaeus cries out. We're told that he called out in verse 38. And that even when he was shushed, he shouted all the more in verse 39. The the word in the original language uh, really conveys the sense of desperation. The sense that this is my only hope. And if it doesn't come to pass, then I'm hopeless for eternity. This rescue me plea that Bartimaeus has. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. You're my only hope. Nobody else can help me. And it's with this kind of emotion, this kind of intensity, that Bartimaeus cries out for Jesus. And it's the same kind of intensity that Jesus invites us to cry out to him. And the language that he uses is significant. He refers to Jesus as the son of David. The son of David was was. Old Testament language for the Messiah. He's saying, Jesus, you are the promised Messiah. You are the one that 2 Samuel chapter 7 speaks about. When David was promised, from your line will come the Messiah, the king, that will will lead his people out of bondage. And so he had heard about Jesus, and he believed that Jesus could heal him. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David. He cries out, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And I believe that that Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, he is healed not because he knew about Jesus, but because he had a personal encounter with Jesus. Bartimaeus is healed. He receives his sight not because he knew about Jesus. There are plenty of people that know a lot about Jesus. In fact, I have friends, I have people that it breaks my heart. They probably know more about Jesus than I do. 
but they've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. They've never made a personal profession of faith and and committed their lives to Jesus. And there is a big, big difference between the two. You see, I believe that it's impossible to remain neutral when you have a personal encounter with the risen Lord. That you will either fall on your knees and praise Him as Lord and Savior and give your life to Him, Or you will go away sad, or you will go away angry, or you will go away calling him a liar or a lunatic or saying it's just not true. But the casual indifference to me always indicates that somebody hasn't had an encounter with the real Jesus. They haven't had a personal encounter with the living God. And when you do, when you have that personal encounter, you'll never be the same. Just as Bartimaeus, you will never be the same. There will be spiritual blind spots that you will see for the first time. There will be spiritual darkness that will be illuminated for the first time as you have an encounter with the real Jesus. And I love his request in verse 40 when he says, when Jesus stops and orders that the man be brought to him and asks him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, I want to see. And it's actually borderline mistranslation in the NIV. I don't want to poke holes in your favorite Bible translation. It's still my favorite Bible translation. But there is a Greek word for I want to see, and there is a Greek word for I want to recover my sight. And he uses the word I want to recover my sight. It's only used about ten times in the New Testament, whereas I want to see or something that just has to do with having sight is used dozens and dozens of times. And so it's interesting to me, if you read this passage in the ESV or the King James Version or the RSV or one of those more literal word-for-word translations, you'll see that Bartimaeus says, I want to recover my sight. I want to recover my sight, which indicates that he'd had it before and lost it. That he knew what it was to see. He knew what it was to see a sunset. He knew what it was to look out over the rolling hills of Judea. He knew what it was to see grapes hanging heavy on the vine. He knew what it was to see a loved one smile. He, he had a memory of all that. And somehow he had lost his sight. Somehow it had been taken from him, whether it was from an accident or a disease, a waterborne illness. We don't know the details, but we know that he knows what it was to see, and he knows that he can't see now. And the thing that he wants most, the thing that represents God's mercy in his life is to see again, to have his sight return to him. And Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Even though he couldn't see, he cried out with all he had and he begged God for mercy and he seized the opportunity that was given to him. And he cried out to Jesus, sometimes you've got to go with what you've got and find that as you're faithful in the little that you have, God is faithful to give you more. God is faithful to meet you where you are. And the last thing that I see in this passage, the last thing that stood out to me as I read through it, is in verse 43, it says, Immediately he, Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Now, that wasn't a condition. Jesus didn't say, well, I'll give you your sight if you follow me. I'll give you your sight if you praise God for it. It wasn't a condition, and it wasn't even a request. Jesus doesn't say, now you ought to. There wasn't an ought to in it. Sometimes we think there's strings attached. But Bartimaeus just chooses on his own to follow Jesus, praising God. And then we're told that, that not only that, that others saw it and were amazed and praised God as well. And so Jesus enters into this circumstance, radically transforms it. We're told that this miracle and conversion brought much glory 
and praise to God. So now I've got to ask you a question. And I'm meddling a little bit, but it's part of my job description. At least I'm pretty sure it's part. I think it's in there. I think it says meddle every now and then. And if it's not, I'll just throw it in under other duties as assigned because I know that's in there. But I wonder, I wonder, has, uh, has your conversion brought glory and praise to God recently? Like in the last few days? Has somebody praised God for you? Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But I think we ought to be asking ourselves that question because if God has, has radically transformed our circumstances and changed our eternal destination to, from weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity separated from God to glory in his presence, then somebody ought to know about that. That's a radical transformation. I've been praising God for the way that he's been working in our lives and seeing the way that that the journey that he had for the Sundstroms to come to Linwood, the way things have worked out. And every time we come to a stream, it seems the waters part and we walk through on dry ground. And and every time that there's some little challenge or something that kind of has to go right or it's going to get kind of dicey, it goes right. And we just keep, and I keep telling people and I keep telling friends and I keep telling family members and saying, God's all over this. And then I hear your excitement and I can guarantee you, your excitement is only matched by my excitement to be here. And I tell God, and I think he's going to receive a lot of glory and he's going to receive a lot of praise. But what's God done in your life recently? What, how has he transformed your circumstances? When have you cried out to him and seen him enter and change things for you? And have you told people? Have you given him praise? Have you given him glory? Have you caused others to give glory to God on your behalf because of what he's doing in your life? I want to give God some praise uh, for what's going on down in Brazil. I love that, that an evangelized nation is now sending missionaries out to unevangelized nations. There's second generation and third generation missionaries. And maybe in 20 or 30 years, the people of Timor will be evangelizing another area that they're uniquely positioned and have an ability and a skill and an opportunity to enter into and, and change, that God will be praised and receive glory. You encouraged me when you shared that story. I love that. That Americans don't have a corner on the market with missionary work. That, that we can raise up and send out missionaries from the places where we've sent missionaries. And that that's really the way it's supposed to work. That we, we multiply disciples. Because as we become disciples and be discipled, now we're supposed to find a disciple. And, and disciple somebody else or a small group of people and send them out. And it's a ministry of multiplication, not a ministry merely of addition. It's an opportunity to grow God's kingdom exponentially. And we see it happening. Who knows what the future will hold and how much glory and praise God will receive. So I wonder, are others praising God because of you right now? One of my favorite quotes comes from a man by the name of Dag Hammarskjöld. He was the Secretary General of the United Nations back in the 60s. And he said this, and I, I was reading some of his writings. He was very poetic, very deep thinker. And he said, when we are born, we cry and others rejoice. Let us live in such a way that when we die, others cry and we rejoice. Let us live our lives in such a way that, that others miss having us in their lives, miss having us, miss the, the, the stories that we tell and the impact that we had and the things that we did in the name of God. Let us live our lives in such a way that others will miss us when we're gone, but also, more importantly, that we will rejoice when we breathe our final breath, that we will rejoice when we close our eyes to open them to the unending light that casts no shadow in the kingdom of heaven. Let us 
live our lives in such a way that there's no doubt in anyone's mind where our eternal destination would be. So I don't know what your story is, every one of you, but I know that I've been praying for you, and I prayed for the seat that you're sitting in yesterday. And I prayed that if you came in here with a burden so heavy that you couldn't see Jesus in the midst of it, that you would feel the freedom to cry out to him today from the depths of your soul. And if you don't, I'm reasonably confident that you know somebody who does, that you know somebody who can't see Jesus in the midst of their circumstances, that is experiencing such loss that they can't imagine how they're going to get through. And maybe you can be the one that comes alongside them. And instead of shushing, encourages them to cry out to Jesus, maybe for the first time. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through, I'd encourage you to go with what you've got. Cry out to Jesus, because when you have Jesus, you have more than enough. You have everything you need. And he's longing to enter into your circumstances. Don't be silent. Don't be silenced. Be healed. Be restored. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story and the way that it speaks to our hearts. We thank you for your encouragement. And we pray now, Lord, that we would respond in faith, that we would respond to your word, that we would cry out to you, that we would cry out to you on behalf of those we love or those that we know about. A mother whose son is in critical condition, whose stepdaughter has died in a terrible accident. Those who are sick, those who are in financial issues, those who have relationships that have gone terribly wrong. We lift them up to you, Lord. We cry out on their behalf. And we pray that they would know the power of crying out. Have your way now and lead us into your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.